So we believe in this church, the elders believe that this part of the worship is important as it nourishes us, it feeds us. Now, talking about feeding, let me just sort of tell you this is how the, the, the dinner menu of a cruise ship will pan out. The second day dinner menu will be better than the first day. The third day will be better than the second day. And it goes get better every day. The reason they do it is so that it builds up expectation and it stops complaints. You know, oh, yesterday was a better menu than today. You know, so that, this is a very good strategy. Now, I took it upon to to speak for the next three weeks. It's because there is a continuity of the message for the next three weeks. So let me give you the menu for the next three weeks. It won't be a cruise ship menu. It will be probably more like a McDonald's meal. The M meal. The first week, we'll be looking at the ministry the ministry of Moses and the ministry of the Spirit. M, ministry. The second week, we look at the mission of the church. The mission of the church. And the third week, we'll just look at the messenger, the devotion of the messenger. So in this first week, I will appeal to your a little bit of your theological thinking. Don't let that trouble you too. Because all of us coming to worship God, coming to contemplate the Word of God, we are theologians. We are theologians. We are considering a very, very important group of knowledge to know God. So I appeal in this, this, this morning to your theological thinking. And don't... Hopefully it won't be as boring as what you expect it to be. In the second week, second week, the mission of the church, I will appeal to our, our love to, to, to want to serve God. And I will appeal to your methods and what are the message. So the second week will be the mission of the church and the sub, subheading will be the method and the message. Another two M words. So when you go to McDonald's, you get these extra smaller meals. Two M. And the final week, I will appeal to your love. Do you love for the Lord? And we see the devotion of the, the messenger, Paul, how they're devoted to the mission, how they're devoted to God. Alright? So I'm going to give you the M meals. The McDonald's meal. Now, the passage which we have been uh, read to us, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 18, I cannot just stick onto this verse. I have to go on a bit further around the verse too. So you forgive me if I repeat some words which actually come before that. Before that. Now, in this passage, we talk about the ministry. Paul was comparing two different ministries. The ministry of Moses and the ministry of the Spirit. 
the ministry of the Spirit. He was comparing two ministries. Now, one of the difficulties in dealing with this passage because it was because he, Paul actually constricted to this very brief. What he actually did in Romans chapter 2 from verse 12 to chapter 8, he just summarized it in these few verses. If you look at Romans chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 8, he was talking about the law and then he followed on to life in the spirit. This is exactly what Paul was talking about. But when Paul wrote to them, he assumed that they already had that message in, in his teaching to them. Because Paul was with them for one and a half years, nearly two years. Two years with the church. Can you imagine having Paul even six months with us? My goodness, we will have the whole epistles, all the doctrines he can share with us. And then when Paul will come and write us a letter, he will just recall, remember that I told you this thing? And then we will actually recall, yeah, yeah, that's what you were saying. So we actually do not have that uh, uh, privilege of knowing what Paul actually taught them while he was with them. But we know what Paul's theology is from all the rest of his teaching. So it, this passage becomes difficult because Paul was just... Uh, in a very uh, concise way, just referring to perhaps what he taught them. So I will have to enlarge this and go around even the other side of part of the Bible to actually tell you what these are. What is the ministry of Moses? Now, what is the ministry of Moses? I think what Paul was referring to was the time where Moses received the Ten Commandments the law and the commandment from Exodus chapter 20 to 34 and followed by Leviticus as well. So we are not only thinking of just the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. So when Paul referred to the ministry of Moses, he was referring to a bigger part, what Moses took from God and gave to the people. So you have the Ten Commandments, the law, and even the instruction of worship. This is the whole package of the ministry of Moses. So what is the ministry of Moses? We will see this. The law, the Ten Commandments, the law, the communal law, and also the instruction to worship in found in the book of Leviticus. So why did Paul say it came with glory? He didn't say away bad pressing and say these are all useless. He says that it came with glory and it faded. Let's get it right. He came with glory and it faded. This came from God. It came with glory. Now, I wonder if I think a lot of us probably have seen the show, The Ten Commandments, which is uh, start by Charleston Heston. Charleston Heston. It's uh, produced before I was born, 1957. But I saw it when I was about 10 to 12 years old. 10 to 12 years old. It's a great show. 
There's a one scene which I still remember to this day is the part where Moses was at Mount Sinai. You know, there, there was so much the CGI of the day. The mountain was glowing red. There was fire swinging loud and, and loud thunders. And, but this was what actually described in Exodus chapter 19. There was thunder. There was lightning. God came with such awesomeness and majesty when He gave the Ten Commandments. When He gave the Ten Commandments. And that image still burns in my heart. My, my, my brain till now. I think it beats whatever I saw Star Wars imagery. That was really great. Incidentally, before I came to preach, I googled again Ten Commandments and relieved that time. Relieve it. So, it did come in such glory. But I think that Paul will is referring to a different glory, much more glorious than just that glory of the moment. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, look at what actually was given, what actually was given to Moses. The Ten Commandments, for example. The Ten Commandments, I have found it to be such of such completeness to define righteousness of a man. And the man, if you follow this, you'll be righteous. That's what God said. These are the Ten Commandments. Not only that it has a completeness, it resonates with our conscience. We look at the Ten Commandments and say, okay, yeah, I agree with it. My conscience agree with it. Or in the negative then if I were to break it, I know my conscience hurts. So it resonates with what is in us, our conscience. The second thing is that it is timeless. The Ten Commandments was given years ago, just even before Charleston Houston was born. It was given years ago. But even today, today, it is still relevant. We can take the Ten Commandments, preach about it, apply it, and find that it is actually something we have to measure ourselves against the Ten Commandments. Timeless. And the third thing, it is culturalless. In all culture, in any culture, you can apply the Ten Commandments. Such was the genius. You can take the Ten Commandments to the halls of the university and, and deliberate it over there with the academician. You can take the Ten Commandments to the street in a developing country and contemplate with the people and, and, and plead with them that we are sinners. You can take the Ten Commandments, as I had, to the jungles with the native who may not be even literate and you explain the Ten Commandments and they will agree with you that this resonates with your heart. So this is the genius of the Ten Commandments and we, we, we are planning to do the Ten Commandments in the short 
break in uh, January. So, so the, the, the genius of that. So, the, the genius of that. Alright, the Ten Commandments. And not only God gave us the Ten Commandments, He gave to the community at that time the law, the communal law. So that the people, this group of people who just came from slavery in Egypt, a, a, a rough tech group of people, there's no sense of uh, direction and communal kind of uh, uh, thing are just being formed and and so God gave them communal law, how to relate to each other, how justice can be meted out in a community. For example, we have an eye for an eye, a teeth for a teeth. We take it as barbarism, but what it actually says is that you just meet justice equally. Justice must be met at equal. You don't take two eyes out of one eye. You don't kill a person because he blinded you. It is to be just. And this is how we need, we know that the communal law has to be just. That's another story. So he gave us the Ten Commandments to appeal to our conscience. God gave Moses the law for that community to actually be able to function as a community. Even what you call quarantine law was given during that time. If a house, a house is, have uh, been infected, how you should actually quarantine the house. Where does it come from? It, it only can come by divine inspiration. Moses could not sit down and say, alright, what should we do? It was given at an instant, it was given by a divine Initiative, God gave them this. It was glorious. It was glorious. And the final thing God gave them was, God gave them was instruction to worship. Instruction to worship. God gave them, this is how you are to worship. And even to the specification of a a temple in the wilderness, the tent of worship. So give them that life is not just here. There is a transcendence. There's a transcendence that of life after death, an accountability to God. And they could transcend above whatever circumstances they have because they have a worship to go to. So this is the, 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 the beauty, the completeness, the glory of what God gave to Moses. God gave to Moses. So I can understand why Paul said it came with glory. It came with glory. But Paul says that it faded. This glory faded. How does this fade? I'd like to ask you a question. Now, that the cliche is when we look at the Ten Commandments, the cliche is always that none of us, we, we, salvation by work, we can never fulfill the Ten Commandments and therefore all of us fail. All of us fail. I and mean, it's true. 
But is this the point where Israel failed? Okay, just a side. I sort of bounced something with Pat this morning. I don't know whether it's appropriate. If you don't think it's appropriate, then it's pulling the, 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 the holiness of God down. Please forgive me. Now, Last week we have a great time. Two kids, uh, Jack and Sakasa, came and memorized the Ten Commandments. That was great, Pauline. That was great. She's not here, but please tell Pauline that was a great exercise. I just wonder. Let's say you know this is definitely not true. Okay, I just wonder. Let's say when the person died, and then he went to what you call a gate where he has to answer some question. So the first question is, all right, you know, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Then he said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, no? Okay, okay, the gatekeeper said, maybe I lower the standard, standard a little bit. Can you repeat to me the Ten Commandments? I just wonder how many of us will pass that test. I was ashamed that, you know, I myself said, have to go through, yeah, uh, you should have no other God beside me, God the Sabbath. No, you know, we don't, <laughs> we don't even remember the Ten Commandments, they <laughs> keep it sometimes. But that was not uh, the, the, the tenet of our faith over here, okay? I just let look, look through our, the iPhone just now, and my phone just now, and see our statement of faith, uh, the Ten Commandments was not included. <laughs> No, okay, but seriously, let me ask you one question. When God gave the Ten Commandments and Moses received the Ten Commandments, was there any expectation by God or by Moses that these people would keep it? Was there any expectation that the moment they take with this big, amazing thunderstorm and then these two tablets came down, written by God, that these people would say, yes, we will keep it. We will keep it and we will work at it. Was there any expectation? I think that's not. I think there's no expectation by God or by Moses that the reason he gave the Ten Commandments is that they could just tomorrow keep it and they become perfect people. So where did they fail? I think, okay, that they fail in this. Together with the Ten Commandments, is the instruction to worship. When you fail, this is what you do. You go to the temple, you offer the sacrifice, you come to the Lord for mercy. The restorative instruction was there. God only just judged them and said, look here, the Ten Commandments pronounced that you are failed. You are a failure, you failed. You cannot keep it all the while. You will fail. But God immediately gave them the worship, the offering of sacrifice. 
to come to Him to ask for mercy. And I believe that this is the part where they fail. They fail. Let me take you back to Isaiah. Remember Isaiah chapter 1, without going, having going through the verse. Isaiah chapter 1. God said, Please forget about all your sacrifices. All your, I, I, I detest them. Hey, then you're wondering, didn't God give them? This is the way of restoration. And God said, don't come to me and sacrifice anymore. What I believe, and we can have a discussion after this, is that there's a disconnect between their heart and what they do. I think Chris reminded us this morning very importantly that we should posture our heart even as we worship. What happened is that God gave them a restorative pathway. This is the Ten Commandments. You will fail. You will not be able to keep it. You will try. Good, you are trying, but you will fail. The best of you to trying also good, but you will fail. But come to me and be restored. Come to worship me. Come to have your heart turn right to me. And this is where they fail. So God, even the, the, the restorative thing, they actually, what you call, uh, squandered the way. So this is where Israel failed. Their heart was not right with God. The thing about these ceremonies and all that kind of things to be done, to it can actually promote an externalized worship. An externalized worship. I'm keeping the law. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But it does not resonate with the internal. We are, in that sense, hypocrite. Our religion is externalized. Externalized. I would not discount the fact that if you externalize your service to God, that other people are getting benefit. But God wants the heart. God wants the heart. And this is where I believe Israel failed. And that's where he says, uh, in Isaiah, he says, They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their back on Him. And yet they were conducting all this ceremony most actively. They were going to the temple and offering sacrifice. And God said, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offering of ram and, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasures in the blood of bulls and lambs and goat. When you come to appear before me, who have asked this of you, this trampling of my court? And God says, stop bringing meaningless, meaningless offering. Your incense is detestable to me. So we have this state whereby outwardly 
There's the worshipping of God. But inwardly, they actually rebel, are rebellious people. And this is at the stage, at epidemic level. At epidemic level. Now, there are people who actually worship the Lord, searches the Lord very sincerely. Let's look at how Isaiah, when Isaiah searches in his heart, in chapter 6, verse 5, this is the heart which God wants a person to come to him. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah said, when he saw the majesty of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell, I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the internal posturing God wants them to have when they come with the offering of sin. It's not just a sacrifice. You have to have your heart posture admitting the state of your sinfulness. Come to me for mercy. And they are not. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, verse 12, this is David. David's posturing. Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can discern his error? Declare me innocent from hidden fault. Keep your servant also for presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. These are the internal posturing of the heart which God wants when they offer the sacrifices. But they do not. And in Job, another posturing I, I, I really sort of find very meaningful is at the end of his trial, this is what Job said. Job chapter 42, verse 1 to 4. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I utter what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. That was God. Up to verse 3 only. But I'm, I hope I can bring up to you is that the external instruction of worship must come with the internal understanding, the internal repentance, posturing correctly why and what is done. And this is where Israel failed. This is where Israel failed. And this come to our, this is where the, 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 the glory faded. So we come to the next stage. It brings us to how the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit come to play. Now I do not know, uh, I do not want to speculate at this moment how the thinking or how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. I, I'm not in this place to tell. But what I'm telling you now is that after 
Jesus ascended as he had promised in John chapter 14 that the Father will send a comforter, send the Holy Spirit to us. We now have the Holy Spirit to work within us. To work within us. Let us just look at John chapter 14. And let the word... Now, when I, I'm talking about something so internally, alright? I'm talking about your personal... Uh, personal... I wrote this this morning. Now, when we discuss about the subjectivity of internal insight. Internal insight, we have discussed subjectivity. I cannot actually be objective for it. We have to depend on the categorical statement on this subject. I cannot appreciate how you internally work out the process of your thinking, and I cannot use my personal experience as a norm. I hope at least we will agree that God knows and use the scripture, his scripture, as our reference. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When I'm talking of something so internalized, I don't want to be presumptuous to say, I know how you feel, this is how I feel, and therefore how I feel is how you should feel. This is my internal conviction, and so therefore you should have it. I've gone through many conversations with a lot of people and I find that the, sometimes at best we are just looking like, a, like a, looking into a mirror or looking to a glass at somebody's life in a mirror. We do not know how they actually feel actually. And many times uh, my presumption on how a person should feel and how a person should logically think through things is it's, it's a bad assumption. So let's turn to the Word of God. Let's turn to the Word of God, alright? First, at the promise, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, let's turn to the verse. First, let's look at what is promised. What's the difference now is that the Holy Spirit is given. It's not something which I promise you, the Holy Spirit will you, is what Jesus promised. Jesus promised. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandment. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither see him nor know him. You will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is the promise of Jesus. It's not even Paul's assumption. It comes from Jesus. And he says here, uh, verse 25, This thing I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So, this is what God says. God who knows you internally, this is what He says. I'm not making any assumptions at all. And from this, Paul developed his, his theology, his doctrine. 
And if you look, we don't have to go to turn to Romans chapter 2 from verse 12 onward to uh, verse chapter 8. But let me at least look at chapter Romans chapter 2 verse 12. He starts with the laws and all that. And then he goes to chapter 8 where that he talks about the life of the Spirit. So you can see that what Paul was dealing in this short passage, he was actually dealing it much broader and more deeper in another passage in Romans. So we have to take that. Let's look from chapter 8, verse, verse, verse 4, the second part, verse 4. I will read. I'm reading it from English Standard Version, ESV. Okay, I'll read slowly. Who walk, means us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does, have, does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now it goes on all the way that to verse 17. You're getting the gist of it. This is the work of the Spirit. Christ gave us the Spirit. Moses just got the law and the commandment after the life. But now, after Christ ascended, He gave us the Spirit. And it does not come at the, at the development stage of our life. We get the Spirit the moment we believe because in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that whoever turns to him will have his fail unwilled. When we turn to God, that moment we have the Spirit, when we accept Him, and we have the unveiling of our eye, and the Spirit works from point one. Point one. And that gives us an internal internal, what you call uh, consistency with our external belief. The internal now is in sync with the eternal because we have the ministry of the Spirit. And therefore, when Paul says the ministry bring life, give us freedom, that is what he says. This is a promise to every believer. But as we continue to develop this, he said as we, with the Spirit, contemplate, we are transformed. We are being transformed to the likeness of Christ. So when we have the Spirit, it will give to us, in a very mysterious way, new desires, new standard of righteousness, new longing for God, new 
all come from instant. Uh, there's a lot of things which He stirred up in us that we can now sort of uh, enjoy that journey. New desire. New challenges as well. Conversation within our mind, even as we pray. The internal life now is consistent to what we actually gave up. So this is, I believe, a very important aspect for us to know. The ministry of the Spirit within us. Within us. Sometimes this transformation is very, in a way, uh, we are transformed. We are not aware of that transformation. Allow me to just give, uh, in closing, uh, a personal journey. And this, this is... Uh, now, before I became a Christian, I think I told you all before this, I became a Christian. Uh, as a child, uh, as, as a teenage of uh, 15, 16 years old, I was a, a, a rather rascal. You know? And uh, I don't want to list, Chin uh, would say, don't list the thing which you have done wrong, okay? Because really it is... Uh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Okay? It's not pretty. But uh, the, the thing which I heard most are my parents. Are my parents. Uh, the thing which I heard most is that in the midst, even when my father is actually, uh, at one time he was having no job. Yeah? And um, we are just, uh, you know, moving from, from day to day. And my mother actually, uh, you know, ha- having whatever jewelry she has, she pawned out and all that kind of stuff. And the, whatever money she can keep, she keep in the small piggy bank. And in the midst of this, I, I, I'm the one who actually stole from the piggy bank. And so, I mean, this is the... And, and what I stole for is to do... to, to, to gamble. <laughs> small child gambling. You know. But... And among other things. But I came to know the Lord. One day I came to know the Lord. And to cut matters short, a year after I came to know the Lord, uh, my parents driving the car because my father started a driving school, driving the car, and they sort of stopped the car by way, my mother and my father and me, three of us in the car. They, they, they told me this, you know, since the day you start going to church, they noticed that there's a total change in my character. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not up to standard or what standard yet, but coming from my parents to realize where I was, and coming from them, it hit to me that I was not really cautious of that. That when you actually start to contemplate Jesus and His glory, insidiously, this gives you the internal change and through the Holy Spirit working in your life. And this is the ministry of the Spirit, which Paul said. This is the ministry which lasts we still can come to God with a posturing heart like what Chris was sharing to ask for forgiveness the right heart and the Lord will receive us as his children. Shall we pray? We thank you for this. You do not leave us as often. Indeed, you come to each and every one of our life. You didn't 
leave us to try on our own, standard which is too high for us to achieve. Even when we know your standard now, but you come and walk beside us. We thank you that there are changes in our life which we are not aware of, which because the transformation given by you is in a way sometimes mysterious and we do not even are not even aware of it. But we thank you that you continue to change us. We acknowledge God that we are always in the stage of work in progress. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is still working within us. We pray, dear Lord God, for the awareness of this, that we can use and to not just let it happen by accident, but to actually also be in sync with the Holy Spirit changing our life so that we actually walk and make it more progressing, it more uh, uh, faster, not the word faster, but deeper, that our change will be deeper and we can live our life more pleasing to you. We pray for this. We pray that we will work on this. So we thank you. There's nothing to thank you. So we thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.